welcome Firehouse Church. I'm glad to be with you uh, this morning or this evening, uh, whatever time you're listening to this. Uh, to some of you, this might seem odd because I might be sitting there with you, but uh, of course, we're trying something out here. We're uh, trying the, the pre-recorded message uh, so that we can all have a chance to listen to the same thing and then engage in some discussion together. I am really thankful for the house churches. Uh, just grateful that each of you are sitting together and uh, creating these circles uh, where you can engage in each other's lives. Uh, that's really one of our goals here is that uh, we would each be looking to share uh, things that are, are great and uh, wonderful, things in our lives that are good, things that are bad, things that are challenging. Maybe some of us are going through really hard things right now. Maybe some of us are going through really joyful things right now, and that's part of the point of being able to sit in circles is that we can, uh, uh, we can engage in those things and uh, kind of carry out those one another commands from the New Testament uh, together. So, of course, uh, some of you may be new and you're going, man, are, are these people uh, in this church, are they professionals at this house church thing? And the answer to that, of course, is no, we're we're not. We're just kind of getting started on this, transitioning our church from all meeting together all the time to meeting in these smaller groups. Um, and so for whether you're new with this, you've been with us a long time, I, I just encourage you to uh, just please keep being patient uh, with this process as we walk through it and, and try to figure these things out. I mean, even uh, uh, even this sort of pre-recorded message and uh, hoping everybody can hear it and listen to it and that it lands well for you. So that's my encouragement. Be patient. Uh, keep striving together to build uh, into these circles, build into the lives around you. Look for ways you can serve. Uh, but uh, of course, also keep praying for opportunities uh, that you can offer the gospel to people around you, because that's really what uh, we're sitting together for is to is for the sake of the gospel of of uh, getting the good news out uh, to people around us. So. Today, uh, we're going to start, so hopefully you've got your Bibles with you, whether it's on your phone or a hard copy, and, and if you don't, that's okay as well. You listen along, we'll, we'll read the scripture. If you've got it, uh, you can turn uh, to the book of John, and we're going to start in chapter 3 this morning, uh, because we are speaking about the gospel, and of course we're going to go to a verse that probably everybody knows, everybody has been exposed to, our kids probably know this one. Uh, we're going to go to verse 16. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And you can read that verse there on the page in, in front of you. And I, I'm guessing, again, that probably all of us know this verse. And most of us would say, hey, that is a really good summation of what the good news is. And that's just that we must believe to be saved. We must believe to be saved. And so we love that verse, right? We see that, that verse, it's a sign that people sometimes hold up at football games and that sort of thing. But when we read this verse, we have to recognize that there are actually a few things in this verse that we have to believe first before we can believe the good news, right? It's just like in college. I, I know a number of us have, have spent time at universities and colleges, and I know there's some who are even in college uh, right now and starting those courses. But 
in college there are these courses called prerequisites and they're the course that you take before you get to take some of the other courses right and the reason they're a prerequisite course is because they are foundational to the other courses and so I think even with this verse in John 3:16, we see that there's some foundational beliefs here that are kind of prerequisites for believing the gospel well what are those foundational beliefs well I think there's really three that I see the first one is that we have to believe that God exists at all right see if you aren't convinced that there's an all-powerful creator God, you can't get past the second word of the verse, can you? It says, for God, right? So to somebody who doesn't believe that, to say for God is really just as good as saying for unicorns, right? It's like, well, what's God? who's God? I don't believe that God exists. So you have to have a belief that God exists. The second prerequisite foundational belief we have to have for this verse is we have to believe that God created the world. Did God create the world? Why do we have to believe that? Well, it's because if he didn't create it, why would he love it? It says God loved the world. Well, why would he love it? Right? I'm an architect and, and I like a lot of different buildings, but I tell you what, the ones I love are the ones that I've designed and built sometimes. Now, maybe you're not an architect or you don't work with buildings like I do, but a lot of your parents or you know parents and you might say, yeah, I really love kids. I really love being with kids. Maybe you don't love kids. I don't know, but a lot of you do. You love kids. You love to be with kids. You like to spend time with kids. But you really, really love your own kids. There's something different about it. They are your own. And so I think in the same way, God's plan of the good news that's here in John 3.16 is it's only really meaningful if it's founded in what I would call a creational love. He's created us and he loves us in a very special way. So we got to believe that God exists. We got to believe that God created the world. And the third thing I see is that we have to believe that God has redemptive power. Does God have the power to redeem us? We have to ask and answer that question. Uh, kind of a funny story from my week. Uh, one of my children, who will remain nameless, and I'm not upset at him about this at all, but uh, he uh, was somehow used a great amount of strength and he poked a hole in my roll-up garage door. Somehow, with, with an object, and not a car, it was an object, he poked a hole in my garage door. And of course, he was very sorry, and, and it's fine, you know, I'm not upset at him or anything. That's, you know, those things happen, but what I saw in his response to me, his heart to me, was, you know, as he apologized and sought my forgiveness, was that he had this belief. His belief was that he knew in his heart, Dad can fix that hole. Dad can fix it, right? So something has, was broken. He broke something, and he had this belief that there was someone who could come in and fix it. And so if we think about that in terms of our own lives, and we look at our own lives, and if we believe, if we can look at our own hearts and we can recognize, hey, I have sin in my life and it has broken my own life. And to some extent, it's broken others' lives and really even the universe around us. And it's broken it beyond anything we can do to repair it. Then we're in desperate need of somebody else who can fix it. And so we have to believe that. And so that's a really personal 
underlying question that each one of us has to answer when it comes to the gospel is, do I believe that God is powerful enough to redeem me? Is he that dad who can come in and fix it or not? So those are kind of three prerequisite questions. So how can we get answers to these questions? Or if we kind of feel like we know the answers, how do we, how do we offer answers to other people? If we don't have a foundational connection back to the underlying qualities of God, then the gospel can appear more like a crutch or a band-aid or a nice idea than it can appear to be a powerful means of salvation. Now, we have the Bible, and the Bible, the one that's sitting right in front of you, it, it helps to illuminate the truth about God. Now, some people might say, I don't believe the Bible, right? We're going to encounter people like that all the time. They say, I don't believe the Bible. And, and our call is to love them in the midst of their unbelief. But the Bible claims to contain answers. And it claims to contain answers to these foundational questions that we're asking. And when we get these answers, they can help frame and shape our understanding of ourselves and of God and of our own deep needs. So somebody may not like the Bible or they may not understand its validity, but it does provide the answers to these prerequisite questions. So today we're going to take a look at a couple of verses that will help us hopefully solidify some of these under, underlying beliefs uh, that we need. And I, I really think it's especially important living in this culture with what somebody this week described to me as they said, you know, our culture has a systemic hatred towards Christians. And maybe there's systemic problems in other areas and towards other groups of people, but I think it's very true that there is a hatred in the system towards Christians. And so if that's the case, then we got to get really solid on what our underlying beliefs are. So that's kind of what we're going to look at here for the rest of the time this morning. So uh, when we think about answering questions, oftentimes we say, well, where should we start? Where do we start? Well, I'd say, how about at the beginning? It's always good to go back to the beginning, right? So let's do that. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 1. And we'll start in verse 1. So take a moment to uh, flip your Bibles back uh, to that point. Now, you, you probably know this verse. When I read it, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Probably most of us have that verse memorized. So what I think is interesting, you know, superheroes are really popular in our culture right now. And when we think about superheroes, what is it everyone wants to know about a superhero? Well, the one thing they want to know is, well, what is his origin story? Or what is her origin story? Where did this person come from? How did they get their powers? Well, isn't it great? The Bible starts off right away at the beginning and gives us the origin story, the origin story of our world, of the universe. And it tells us a number of things, but here's three things I want to highlight today that it tells us about the beginning, about our origins. The first thing is that there was a beginning. There was a point where it started. That's what it tells us. First thing, there was a beginning. And really, every child understands that everything has a beginning. There's a beginning to everything. Now, as elementary as that sounds, we have to recognize that one of the great spiritual attacks of the past 200 and some years in this world against the faith, the Christian faith, and against the Bible has been the concept of what I would call scientism. Not science, scientism. Now, 
scientism is different from science, right? Science is simply the, the study of the universe through observation and experimentation. So you're going to look at what's there and you're going to conduct experiments and you're going to make conclusions. But there's this whole other thing that has been using science and it's really what we would call scientism. And it's the idea that, hey, we're going to use science and science is going to be the only method for determining reality. And in doing that, it has become a vehicle for many people who really want to find an alternative to this very verse in the Bible, which is that says, in the beginning, God. And scientism has for a long time tried to find alternatives to this. How can we find alternatives to in the beginning, God? And in doing that, scientism is effectively a religion, and it actually requires a faith. It requires a faith in the exclusion of God. But instead, we look at the Bible, and the Bible tells us that, yes, yes, indeed, there was a beginning. It was a beginning. And so from that, we know the second thing, that not only was there a beginning, there was a beginner. Now, when I say beginner, I don't mean like an amateur. What I mean is the, the person who began, who did the beginning, the one who caused it. And I think we could say, yes, the universe was caused, and logically, we would understand that there must be someone or something that caused it. Scientism will, will, will try to tell you that, oh, the universe, it's just a repeating process. It just expands and it contracts and expands and contracts. And it's just sort of this thing that goes on. But if you think about that for about five seconds, you realize it's just speculation that doesn't have any proof. It's just somebody trying to come up with an idea. It's just somebody essentially saying, hey, this is my opinion and trust my opinion over the Bible's words because I'm really smart or, or whatever their justification is for it. So Genesis 1 tells us there was a beginning and there was someone who began it. And if that's true, then what it tells us in Genesis 1 is the third thing is that the universe was begun by God. It gives us the name of the one who did the beginning. And they say his name is God, and it tells us two things about God. First, it says that he was in existence before the beginning of our universe. The second thing is that he had the power to make everything. So God had exactly what was needed to start the universe. He had the presence and the power. The presence and the power. He had both of those together. And so I think a question we can ask to say, okay, does this jive with reality? Does this jive with what we look at and what we see around us? Well, let's just, where you are sitting right now, look around you right now. I think most of you are probably sitting outside. If you're not sitting outside, you're probably sitting near a window. Look around and do you see some trees or other plants or anything growing? And we've talked about that before. They're amazing. The systems that are going on inside those plants are amazing. They are so clearly designed. And when something is designed, we understand that that design implies that there is a designer. Some of you are sitting outside. Uh, you might be sitting next to a house. And you look at that house, and when you look at it, you go, oh, yeah, surely somebody built that. Somebody designed that. Uh, somebody uh, put it together, got all the materials, put it together. Right, Or maybe you're sitting inside a house, or uh, maybe, you, obviously, we all live in buildings. We, we interact with them, and we see them, and they, 
they're clearly designed, and that design implies a designer. Well, how much more complex and more wonderful are these so-called natural things, the, the trees and the plants and the, the animals and the, all the systems? They're so much more complicated. They're clearly designed. Their design, therefore, implies that somebody designed them. Another thing we can do is you can look up in the sky. I know it's probably pretty smoky, uh, but look up in the sky and you see the sun. Don't look right at the sun, but you know it's up there. And did you know that the earth is exactly the perfect distance from the sun to allow life to exist? If it was a little further or a little closer, we couldn't really have life, but we've got life because it's just the perfect distance. And then you know it's got just the right orbit and the tilt of the axis of the earth is just right so that we can have just the right seasons and just the right variety of, of weather patterns. And it's amazing. It, just those things, and there's hundreds and hundreds of other things we could point out. All of those things say, man, if you look at it, you go, that was really finely tuned. Well, if something is finely tuned, that implies that somebody finely tuned it. So we can see the Bible answers those questions. It tells us there was a beginning. It tells us someone caused the beginning. And it tells us that person was God. So that really answers two of our original prerequisite questions. It says, yep, God exists. And yep, God created us. He created the universe. So that brings us to that third question, which is about his redemptive power. What about it? Has has he put in a place a, a means for redeeming what is broken in our own lives? Has he done that? Well, let's flip back over to the New Testament, back to the book of John, and we'll go to chapter 1. And we'll start right at the, at the beginning of chapter 1 in, in verse 1. And that verse says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, in the beginning, with God. Now, isn't it interesting that this sounds so much like the verses we just read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1? But then you realize these verses were written about 1,400 or more years apart. So we read on in John chapter 1, and, and John starts to describe what this word is. The Greek word for word is logos. And it's really just a name he's given to describe Jesus, right? It, it would be sort of like he said, in the beginning was the hero, and the hero was with God, and the hero was God. Well, he's using word for particular reasons, and we won't go into that today, but he's talking about Jesus. So, in the beginning was Jesus, and the Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. So, if we look on in John chapter 1, what else does it tell us about Jesus? It, it tells us that Jesus is God, and he was with God, in the beginning. And you say, well, that's strange, but that's really a key understanding of the theology of the Trinity. We understand that God is one God, and yet he is also in three persons. He is one in three persons. The second thing we learn in John chapter 1 is that uh, Jesus is God become man. It's God becomes man, and that's Jesus. And Jesus, in doing that, he becomes the plan. He becomes the actual, literal expression of God's redemptive power. 
It's God himself taking on flesh, living the sinless life, and dying to pay the penalty for our broken sins. It's the perfect demonstration of God's redemptive power. He says, I myself can come and fix it. I can come fix it. And this is how I'm doing it with myself. So the Gospels, all the Gospels, testify to the life of Jesus as man on the earth. John 1 specifically shows us that Jesus was pre-existent all the way back to the beginning. So he says that, but we have to ask this question. Well, do, do we see Jesus in the Bible at the beginning? It's fine if John says it, but was Jesus there? Was he there at the beginning in Genesis? Well, I hope you kept your finger on Genesis chapter 1 because we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 1. And so when you get back there, go back down to verse 26. And so we're getting the creation story. And you get to this verse in verse 26. It says this, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Isn't that amazing? We see it at the beginning. We see the triune God right here. He says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. The New Testament doesn't just make up the idea of Jesus. He's been there since the beginning, right there in Genesis 1. And you know, there's another cool thing I think about this verse is that God, this pluralness of God, us, he says, we make them. It says, let them have dominion. Who is he talking about? Not just a singular man. He says, them plural. Well, this means two things. One is that we have men and we have women, and men and women are unique expressions of who God is. It's, it's not there's some bad idea out there that, oh, God, the Bible says God made man and woman was an afterthought. No, that's not what it says. We are both made in His image as unique expressions of who God is. Another thing it means is that uh, God, because He is in us, because He is in three persons, it means that God is in and of Himself relational. There is relationship in the Trinity. And so when He says, let us make them in our image, His design for us is that we also be relational. And that means to be relational with Him, but it also means to be relational with each other. So can you see part of why we as a church see how important it is for us to sit in smaller circles at homes today? So think about that. Look at that verse, verse 26 in Genesis chapter 1. We see God's redemptive power right there in the middle of his creation of humanity. Isn't that amazing? So now we're going to wrap this up and we're going to tie it together. We're going to go back to the New Testament for one more passage. Flip over to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. And so when you get there, uh, flip to look at uh, verse 15. 
We're going to read verses 15 to 20. I'll just read those for you. It says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So let's think back to those three things, those three prerequisites that we need to believe in order to receive the gospel for salvation. First, we have to believe that God exists. Second, we have to believe that God created the world. And third, we have to believe that God has redemptive power. So look back at these verses in Colossians. Does, does God exist? Well, the Apostle Paul answers yes. He points out that God is invisible, but Jesus appeared, why? To be a visible image of God. In other words, Jesus is the visible proof that God exists. It's amazing. Look at the second thing. Did God create the world? Did he create the world? Well, again, the Apostle Paul answers yes. He says all things were created by God. And he even says things beyond what we can see. All those things you can see, you look out and you see all those trees and, and all the stuff that's around you right now. Not only did he make those, but there's a whole spiritual realm that we can't see. And he made that as well. So Paul tells us, yes, he did create the world. Well, then our third question, does God have the power? Does he have redemptive power? Again, Paul answers, yes. He tells us the entire purpose of Jesus, of God becoming man, was what? To reconcile God to all people. And he says, through the blood of his cross, that's the expression of God's redemptive power. So we can take that all back to where we started. Let's take that back to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. There's another way we could say that verse, isn't there? We could say, God, who has always existed even before the beginning of our world, that God created us, and he loved us as his creation so much that in order to redeem the damage to fix the wrongs done by our sin. To do that, he gave his son, who is actually God himself. He gave him to live a sinless life and to die as a replacement to satisfy the justice due. That all we, the, the ones that God loves so much, that all we must do is receive this free gift in order to be reconciled to God for eternity. Can you see how it all connects? I think it's just amazing. It's just simply amazing. So now in your house church circle, the, your leaders are going to take you through some discussion so that you as a group can, 
engage with these verses and some of these concepts individually and as a group so that you don't just hear it and leave, but you can hear it and engage with it. So before we do that, I'll pray and close and we'll turn it over to them. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. Lord, thank you that the Bible answers these questions. When we look at our lives and we see the things that are broken, we realize we need redemption. And that redemption has to come from someone who has that power, from someone who created us and loves us, who exists. And Lord, we recognize that's you. We ask that you would bless our discussions this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.